0: Here comes another edition of Talking Foosball Direct, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week is... Definitely not the week to dispel the rumor that Bundesliga sides are a bit undisciplined in defending. Just the 3.77 goals per game on match day 11. <laughs> With me this week to revel in the full throttle, all-out attack is none other than Terry DeFell and T. How how'd you like the offensive explosion this weekend?
1: High five, man. Well, yeah, I'm loving it. I'm absolutely loving all of these goals going on in all over the show. Yeah, it doesn't. Say much as you say for the balance of the league, but who cares? Goals, right?
0: Oh yeah, yeah, and, and I, I saw some interesting work done by um, somebody trying to point out the difference in style of play between the Bundesliga and just about every other league in Europe. That you know, it's not just goals. There's just more chances in a Bundesliga game, typically. There's just more goal mouth action, people. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think there's something in that, to be fair. I mean, well, I'm sure if they've done the work and got the numbers to produce it, then there certainly is. But but I feel instinctively that the Bundesliga remains a fast-paced league. The football is quick. And so, therefore, lots of stuff happens in it. You watch a La Liga game, which, for me, you now generalising massively here, but well, I enjoy watching La Liga, but it is more sedate, I think, more languid in its approach, which has its definite benefits. But... Yeah, give me some fast-paced Bundesliga nonsense anytime.
0: Yep, yep. Turnovers in the final third turning into, you know, sort of ill-conceived shot attempts. Why not?
1: <laughs> well, some of them go in though. As we may talk about later.
0: (laughs) I know, I know. (laughs) Luca Tuzar, for example. (laughs) Okay, uh, we'll be right back with uh, the best and the rest of Matchday 11. In the meantime, do subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a five-star rating if you love us. And if you really love us, become a supporter on Patreon. We've got tons of timeless content over there. And you can help us set our agenda for the World Cup break. Just consider it. Here's part one of Talking Foosball Direct. I'm Matt Herman. I'm here with Terry DeFellin, and we're going to start off the best of match day 11, as is our custom, with a couple of games that boasted plenty of goals, you know, 10 of those 34 goals between them. And in these cases, all the goals came on one side in these two games. We had two 5-0 matches on the match day. Mainz clobbered Cologne, which we're going to talk about in a bit, and then Dortmund took... Stuttgart to the woodshed. We will talk about that one right now. Okay, yeah, Dortmund. All three points in this game against Stuttgart, rousing home win. Kind of felt like a dam breaking in a way. You had Nicholas Zula, Yusufa Mokoko, and Gio Reyna all getting their first league goals of the season. You had Jude Bellingham, who not his first goal of the season, but his first brace of the season basically – you know, we've seen him put a stamp on a game a number of times, but this game was a real, you know, a real belter from him. I thought they also, however, they made life really hard for Foul F. Bay with their press, which is, you know, an aspect that Edin Terzic, their coach, devoted some specific praise to after the game. Terry, we all know, you know, especially that we can't ever get too comfortable with life as a Dortmund fan, but this kind of felt. Like the first time that this new form of Bayfell Bay, whatever it is, whatever Terzic is is trying to put together with this squad, really hit its stride. Does this sort of feel like a glimmer of what could be to come if things go well?
1: I think it's certainly an example of what is trying to be achieved, put it that way. I don't really believe that football teams turn corners anymore. Uh, take corners, yes, but not turn corners. I think that that's just a bit of narrative that's put in there. Yeah, teams go with purple patches and go on streaks and stuff like that. But there's reasons why that, that happens. I don't think it's necessarily down to one specific performance that you look back on and say, that was the day. That was a day it all went right. We've had the Dortmund, we, I apologise for the bias, Dortmund have had one of those performances where everything just seems to have just clicked. It was a complete performance. I don't think it's a coincidence for me that Makoku is now, seems to be, the first choice. I think it was fairly clear, it was becoming quite evident, even before the Revere derby, that Makoku actually probably should be playing in that number nine position, even though he's inexperienced and even though... You know, he's somewhat diminutive. Yeah, I think he suits Dortmund's style of play and what they're trying to achieve. And I wonder whether or not there's something that's squaring the circle, giving them the full shape, and it's looking good. And of course, yes, players playing well. Schlotterbeck, not mentioned, played extremely well. Sula, extremely well. And of course, Bellingham was and is becoming increasingly peerless. And it's going to be even more painful when he does eventually leave. It... should mitigate this by the fact that I thought VFB were poor. I mean, really poor. I was expecting a tough game. I was looking forward to this match because I obviously felt that Stuttgart, perhaps after having freed themselves of, you know, whatever pressures and unpleasantness was going on, you know, with Matarazzo towards those last days, those painful last weeks under Matarazzo, that they kind of, you know unblocked themselves with some big big scoring performances in the last two games but they came along and and they were just blown away and I don't think you can ascribe too much of this to Dortmund playing amazingly well although they did but I think Stuttgart really made it you know quite easy for them they stood off them too much and yeah as you point out and and in Tessie's project they weren't able to cope with Dortmund's press with well at all and you'd like to think that you can see more from Stuttgart in the future.
0: Yeah, let's talk about Stuttgart in just a second. But before we leave Dortmund behind, I really wanted to sort of zoom in on one player and one sort of maybe I don't know tactical decision, which was to play Nicolas Zula as a right back instead of you know dropping Mats Hummels or Nikos Schlotterbeck to get him into the side. You know, Edin Terzic took the opportunity to put him in in place of of Munier, who couldn't play. He set up Bellingham's first goal. He scored Dortmund's second goal. He looked very comfortable getting up and down the pitch in that sort of, you know, semi-attacking fullback role. Is this something that could be a real option going forward, Do you think?
1: I think we've seen in the past at previous clubs, uh, Bayern, when Bayern have been at their most rampant, Sula used to enjoy going on the rampage back then. You know, I think that's a, a role that he probably would have been encouraged to do under certain circumstances. Um, he probably isn't a natural, modern fullback by any stretch of the imagination, but he is a classy defender and for a, a team that's, I think can sometimes find it difficult to work with fullbacks and know how to properly deploy their fullbacks, for what kind of purpose are they supposed to be in? Are they defensive? Are they more attacking? You know, Are they a bit of both? How does that balance work? You tend to find, when I'm reading Dortmund Twitter during games, that a lot of the times people full-backs get criticised by Dortmund fans. And I think partly because full-backs is such a difficult position. So he doesn't quite fit into that mould, but there was there's no question he looks good when he's on the rampage going forward. And yeah, was obviously rewarded, albeit from a set piece, with a goal. But yeah, as you say, getting the assist. And it was a bit incongruous to. I had to pinch myself a couple of times and say, What are you doing that far up the pitch, Niklas? And then I thought, Oh, wait, hang on, he's, he's not playing as centre back. Mind you, towards the end, they were so dominant, it wouldn't have made any difference. So I, I certainly think it's, it's an option for Tezic going forward. But I think he would probably, I would like to think he would prefer to have, you know, orthodox left backs. I wonder whether or not Suda will play against City in that position. Cause I don't know whether or not Mounier is gonna be fit in time.
0: Okay. Let's address Stuttgart just a little bit. I mean you expressed some disappointment about the performance that they put in and, and found it a little bit incongruous considering how much verve, let's just say, they had played with in the last couple of games. I mean I will grant that the two games, the opposition, you know, there are 4-1 win over Bochum in the league and then uh, a 6-0 win, both of those games at home, by the way, against Bielefeld, who are are not doing terribly well in the second division. So, yes, those two opponents versus Dortmund are a little bit different, but this looked like a completely different team. Was there having... The trouble with the press that they did and going down, you know, by a goal after two minutes and another goal after, you know, 15 or whatever minutes it was, kind of can take some wind out of your sails. Was this a game that maybe they sort of counted themselves out of a little bit early?
1: Yes, bluntly. I mean, the manner of the first goal, I mean, it was from a Dortmund perspective, it was it was a lovely combination move and a terrific finish by Jude Bellingham. But I mean, the space and time i mean he could have you know he could have sat down at a picnic with the time and space that he had you know to take a shot and that was uh, two minutes and you you need to be straight out of the blocks don't you it's i mean this is like elite level football 101 you don't you you can't just ease your way into a football match and that was disappointing to see there because there is quality in that side but yeah there just didn't seem to be either whether it was whether it was mindset or or what have you but they should have been aware that they're going to the westfalen it's a full house yeah, you know, Dortmund are hungry to make up points, and they'll be wary of you. They're going to look at Stuttgart and see these guys have rediscovered some form. They've got some spirit back. They're going to be tough opponents, and we're going to have to come straight at them. And they weren't prepared, and that's that's disappointing.
0: At least from what we hear, which is to say some quotes from Sven Mislintat, their uh, sporting director or whatever his title is these days. Michel Vimmer, the interim coach who they've put in charge for the time being, is going to stick around until the World Cup break. It's possible he has a chance to keep the job on a permanent basis if things go reasonably well. Do you think that's uh, an an all right idea, or should they be looking for something a bit more long-term? I know that there's been some disagreement behind the scenes about whether they should look for a quick fix or look for a long-term fix or stick with Vimmer, et cetera.
1: It would be disappointing as a word I keep using a lot, don't I, with Stuka. It would be a shame to ditch the guy after one poor performance. I think you need to show some understanding of the difficult situation that he's inherited and that things aren't going to go well all the time. They're through to the next round of the Cup. They picked up three points last week. Things could be far, far worse from them, and I don't think it does to overreact. It would be sensible, I think, in view of the scale of the challenge to try and see if they could hold their noses until the World Cup give themselves the opportunity of the extended break to hopefully make an early appointment or indeed a decision to stick with Michael Wimmer and then give them the the time. But obviously, Stuttgart fans probably don't need me to tell you this, the problems obviously at that club run pretty deep Money is the issue where one of the lowest salaried clubs in the Bundesliga, you know, they are on paper on, you know, and and on the evidence of your eyes, you what you go to Stuttgart Stadium, it's a big stadium, there's lots of fans there, they're a nationally supported club, they're a traditionally big club, well supported club, but in terms of their outlay, you know, they're a medium to lower medium table Bundesliga club these days and it's going to be difficult to find a coach who is going to be able to match the ambitions of their fans when you know there doesn't seem to be a club that can match the ambitions of their fans so it's a cautionary tale i think for a lot of the bigger clubs that are going through these kind of problems you know and a cautionary tale for the existing big clubs that aren't going through these kind of problems is just to how far you can fall in the bundesliga
0: mhm yeah well stuttgart will have their hands full Next week, they're playing at home to Augsburg. That's a pretty big one. Dortmund, they've already got a play on Tuesday. As you mentioned a moment ago, they are playing at home to Manchester City. They do have a five-point gap over Sevilla and Copenhagen. So I don't think it's crucial that they get a result there. But boy, would it be nice (laughs) for the morale of this team to get at least a draw uh, against uh, a club with the caliber of Manchester City.
1: I think in view of the fact that they really should have beaten them at Dortmund in the reverse fixture. They really had them almost there. I think Terzic made a tactical error and made the wrong tactical substitution. It would be nice. But I think in Manchester, that's going to be a tough ask and you know Haaland is going to score. So that's going to be tricky. Can I just quickly go back to Stuttgart? Yeah, man. As you say, they've got Augsburg next week. Man, they have got to be... On it because that's going to be a war. Augsburg do not take any prisoners. No. So <laughs> if they play like that, then and it'll be worse. You can you can you can kind of shrug off. Like, all right, Dortmund are a top side. They've got great players. You know we got them. You know they're at home. It was a bad day in the office. You lose to Augsburg two three 0 to that bunch. That's going to hurt big time. It's going to really affect your season. So Stuttgart need to go in there and they need to roll their sleeves up, have some rum beforehand, and get ready for a fight. <laughs> I'm being metaphorical. <laughs> I don't mean actual rum, but you know, <laughs> you
0: know. I think the, the 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 British sailor of the the early 19th century in you is uh, <laughs> if you <laughs> <it> runs deep. <laughs>
1: it's that's the, that's the persona that you need to adopt when you go when you play algs when you play this season's Algs because they are they are tough hombres.
0: All right. Well, let's move over and talk about the other big honking win of the weekend. This one went the way of Mainz-Nil-Fundf. They move into sixth place on the table after beating Cologne 5-0. Mainz actually hadn't scored more than two goals in a single game in any league uh, match this season. So, this was kind of a gusher for them as well. Uh, the, this game took a turn midway through the first half when Luca Kilian got himself sent off for a second yellow card with the game 1-0 to Mites at the time. And as you might expect, a lot of one-way traffic for them the rest of the game. Terry, what do you make of Mites at the moment? I mean, they have been a tough out all year as they have been you know, for the last year and a half, ever since Bo Svensson took over. But this was different. Is it, do we just want to blame this all on the red card, or is there something else happening here with Mainz?
1: No, I think that there's something else happening here with Mainz. I think that it is admirable how they were able to put their foot on Cologne's neck in this Coming up with all the violent imagery, aren't I, at the moment? Let me just change that down <laughs> a little bit there. Let's, let's, yeah, let's, let's, about, let's, let's, let's on, you know, and come on. Think about candles
0: and plush toys, yeah. hot
1: baths. think of the children, think of the children. I, I think Mainz were, uh, it's admirable how they were able to uh, press their advantage against Cologne, take advantage of the fact that they had that, that extra man. And as you say, Matt, they've been on an upward curve pretty much. Since both Fenson's taken over, and it does look like it might be all coming together at that time, and uh, you could possibly look at this as maybe being a bit of a statement win, and you know, laying down that marker to suggest that they're, they're comfortably going to be a top half, possibly European football next season as well. So I mean, there were some very impressive performances there, particularly. I thought I I all oh, I do love watching Jason Lee. He's just a just a, such a smooth player to watch. And, you know, it was just a very professional performance, admittedly, you know, against I think a Cologne side that was quite brittle after it lost its, its man. And I think Stefan Baumgart might want to be looking to see what can be done about managing situations when you've lost 10 men. But yeah, it was pretty spectacular fall from Luca Killian conceding the penalty, if I remember rightly, and then obviously getting sent off too.
0: Yeah. Speaking of Cologne feeling a little bit brittle at the moment, they have kind of got themselves into a, a negative spiral lately. I mean, if if you include their their back-to-back losses to uh, Partizan in the uh, Europa Conference League, they have lost four of five across all competitions in in recent weeks. Is this maybe fatigue catching up to them? Is this you know something else?
1: Well, I mean, I suppose you could maybe you could look at the intense style of play that their coach gives them, and and maybe look to that to see whether or not maybe yeah, they're playing games effectively twice a week mm-hmm. this season. They're not the only club that's having that problem, but there are you know one of the clubs that's maybe not dealing with the problem as well as others. They certainly looked fatigued, didn't they? But then I guess when you're being hammered, you know. 5-0, you are going to look. T- <laughs> you are going to start looking tired. And then you lose a guy after half an hour. I have to believe that Stefan Baumgart's, you know, just got a good team together, but they're not... How do we put this uh, diplomatically? This is not a squad that is a top-six squad. It is a comfortable mid-table squad. They're going to lose games. They're going to win games. And that's... That. I mean, as a Crystal Palace fan, I know exactly how that feels. So they'll have good games, they'll have bad games... They'll have good games that they win, good games that they lose. That's just just life as a mid-table team. So I, I think we just just have to put a bit of perspective in there. And I refuse to accept that any team that has Stefan Tiggers in it is a bad team. I'm just that's that's I'm just putting that down there.
0: <laughs> Tiggers equals good times. Uh, okay, so Cologne they're facing a trip to Czechia. They're playing against Slovacko. They it's pretty much a must-win game for them if they want to go anywhere in this. Uh, Europa Conference League. That's on Thursday. Okay, move over to Freiburg. Freiburg, unlike Cologne, have been dealing with their you know exertions across competitions much, much better. They were 2-0 winners in a pair of 2-0 wins that we'll be talking about here in part one of the show. They were 2-0 winners over SV Werder Bremen. That means that they hang on to third place. Uh, this is another game where you, that you could say was pretty significantly changed by a red card. Marco Friedl committed a last man foul on Michel Grigoric in this one, which meant his day was over after less than 15 minutes. Not a great move. Lots and lots of chances for Freiburg. They didn't actually convert one of them until almost the hour mark. You know, Freiburg, <laughs> shockingly consistent considering you know the stature of this team how often they have played. They've done nothing but win in the Europa League. They had a little bit of a scare at home to St. Pauli in the Cup at midweek, but they ended up going through. Like, what's it going to take to stop Freiburg?
1: Uh, Bayern Munich. <laughs> okay, yes, <laughs> as saw we saw last, last week. week
0: sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but there's only one Bayern uh, there's, Munich.
1: A, but they don't, they don't play Bayern Munich every week. So, yes, only themselves. They can only stop themselves at rotations issues. Suspensions and injuries are, are, are all that really stands in the way from Freiburg and, well, almost anything really. I mean, I, you, they're in the cup, as you say, so they've still got a good opportunity for the cup. And you, I think that we must be looking at Freiburg as Champions League contenders, like Champions League qualification contenders, certainly. Yeah, I've been fulsome in my praise about Freiburg and it is, it's difficult to talk about them too much because they, there isn't a great deal that, that they do wrong. And we're at. We're just, I think we're past the point now where it's like well, little Freiburg and Freiburg are sort of like a small sort of club that usually spends most of its time looking over its shoulder. I mean, this is a club that's just moved to a brand new stadium. It's got a fantastic academy system. It's got a great recruitment. It's got everything working as it should be. This is a, a proper functioning. Bundesliga Football Club and European Football Club that is getting everything that it deserves. So so there's not much more to say than that. I mean, apart from just to encourage people to try and get away from any of the uh, old-fashioned narratives about, about Freiburg. I mean, it's, it's, unfortunately, you can't be more general than that. I mean, Leave it for the analyst to tell you why they're so good. But the fact is, they are.
0: For sure. They can win their group if they uh, win against... Uh... Olympiacos this week in Europe.
1: Well, we League don't Europa. know how good they are, do we, Matt? Really? I mean, we know they're probably not as good as probably not as good as Bayern. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> you know, because they got how much by Bayern. But I mean, like, I mean, in terms of Europa League, what's their upper limit? Like, I mean, I could see quarterfinals in the Europa League. That wouldn't, for me, that doesn't seem a stretch. The lack of experience at, in this, at that level, is probably what might work against them. But you know. We don't know how good they are, really.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, considering the way things are going in the Champions League this year with some of the pretty big teams not playing well, I mean, they, <laughs> they could be up against, you know, Barcelona or Juventus <laughs> or, you know, Atletico in the uh, Europa League. That would put them into a, a very new frame if they could get a piece of one of those teams and beat them.
1: I mean apparently Juve are an absolute toilet. I mean you would I would you'd expect Freiburg to give Juve a, a game this season's Juve, definitely. Yeah. Um, Barcelona less so. <laughs> I think think a certain R. Oh, Lewandowski might have a few things to say about that. They they've got some players. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, the point is is that, that they are not out of place they, and, and should not be seen as being out of place. They're in a considerably better financial position than those clubs as well, it should be said.
0: Okay. Well, one more game we wanted to discuss before we take a break. That is, uh, you know, Bayern's 2-0 win in Zinsheim against Hoffenheim. You know, <laughs> Bayern... Only a 2-0 win here, and <laughs> that's pretty much actually how uh, the THK, uh coach, Andre Brighton Ryder, viewed it after the game. He said he was proud of his guys for holding it to 2-0. Hmm. I guess, I guess one of the more interesting narratives coming out of this game is is the continued good form of Eric Maxim Tupa moting I mean, this guy has been around the block two or three times and has almost never— gotten a chance to be a first choice number nine at a really good team. And he's getting that chance right now. (laughs) And he's doing really well. This this could be a very interesting wrinkle if he keeps his place and keeps scoring.
1: And why wouldn't he? Because if he keeps if he keeps scoring, I mean the guy's the guy's fitness record is great. And yeah, I mean he's been waiting for his chance. (laughs) It would be fair to say that he was signed as something of an undercard player wasn't he I mean he wasn't expected he was expected basically to stand in for Robert Lewandowski on the odd occasion that Lewandowski was injured and so didn't get that many chances but and it's funny because I think I suspect the feeling was obviously at the beginning of the season it was like well you know the Bayern after Lewandowski looks completely different you know we're not gonna go for the big number nine we've got Mane and we're gonna spread things out a little bit and then that kind of didn't work and he said well I tell you what I'm just gonna put the big fella in at number nine and see what happens and surprise surprise he can finish because he's always been out to finish throughout his entire career and when you're at Bayern Munich you get so many opportunities to finish and yeah duh he's taking them. And so, yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's a great, it is actually a good story, and it almost makes you feel warm about Bayern being successful this season. So, I mean, you know, the other big story of that game, of course, is, you know, if, if Hoffenheim just knew there was a far post to defend, <laughs> then maybe it would have been 1-0. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, Indeed. God, so, yeah, yeah, far post. Sorry, yeah, far post, far <laughs> post. One more thing, lads, before you go out, the far post. Yeah, <laughs> check check the far post.
0: So, so there's there's two posts.
1: <laughs> so, sorry, sorry, so you're saying there's two posts? Yes. Right. There's near and there's far. And don't forget about the far post. All right? Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, Bayern they're they're only one point off the top now. Just the, the, take that as a warning, people. And they're going to Barcelona on Wednesday. They're already through to the knockout rounds. If they uh, if they win that game, they win the group. You know, chances. are are decent even if they don't so let's take a little break and come back in a moment Here comes part two of Talking Foosball Direct, part where we talk about the rest of the match day just gone. This was match day 11. I am Matt Herman. I'm here with Terry DeFellin. I think we should probably start with the team that are still on top of the table, although things have, have tightened considerably, as I mentioned just before the break. That's FC uh, Union Berlin. They lost 2-1 away to Bochum. I'm told that you had a lot of time for this game despite the fact that um, by by this weekend's terms this was a game absolutely starved of goals only 3 i watched probably the first oh, no, i i watched probably the last i don't know 30 35 minutes of this one so i did not uh, see it in its full duration but it definitely was competitive toward the end after when yoone got themselves on the board and put a little bit more pressure on bohm
1: yeah, it was a super competitive game, this one. It hinged, I think, on the, what was it, 17th minute, it was, Ivan Ordets I can't remember the, it was Harborough, yes, it was Harborough who, who he tackled. Tackles being a loose term. So he was given a yellow card for what was a studs-up challenge right into Harborough's ankle, and and in the end, Harborough had to leave the field. And certainly my initial reaction was, oof, blimey, that could have been a red and even the comms team were of the view that that might might end up going upstairs to be reviewed, but it didn't, and they stuck with the on-field decision. On reflection, I think it was a very, very hard yellow, but probably just not quite. I'm not certain I'd characterise it as as violent conduct or serious foul play, but blimey, it was close, and I wouldn't have been surprised. I, I don't think that there would have been too many complaints if that had been a red card, but it wasn't. And Bochum continued to play well. Uh, I think the game really, I mean, it kind of changed to a degree. I mean, they took the lead, Hoffman, with a cracking goal just before half-time. But I think the the momentum shifted when they they put Holtman on towards the end of the game. And obviously, we know how much pace that guy's got. And he was able to get behind what was a pretty tired Union defence. And they just seemed a little bit lacklustre and a little bit jaded. Mm -hmm. That said, Pantovic could have scored a penalty and obviously he did get a late goal and he was holding his head in his hands as he was walking away having scored that consolation goal knowing you know how different it could have been so despite Union not playing that well they could actually there's a scenario where they could have got a point from that game quite easily and a further scenario where if they had been playing against 10 men they could have won the game so so it was close so Bochum deserved the win don't get me wrong but it was a close game, and that's why it was, that's such, that's why it was such a competitive game. It's, these aren't games for the purists in terms of, if you want to watch lovely football, a uh, noted Italian football correspondent who I admire greatly was being mildly critical on Twitter of Union's style of play. I think he contextually he understands where Union are coming from, but, but from a neutral point of view, you know, they're not the funnest team to watch, but they're not here for that. They're, they're here to deliver results, and, and it's something that they've been consistently doing for the last two or three seasons.
0: What are your thoughts about Bochum? Because Bochum, I mean, they had a horrendous start to the season. And then over the last few weeks have started to actually pick up some really creditable results. I mean, they got a big win over Eintracht two weeks ago. They've now beaten – Union was, you know, the top team. This was a top versus bottom game. I think it hasn't happened for something like six years that a bottom team has defeated a top team in the Bundesliga. So – Clearly, the coaching change that they made has dislodged something within this team. What do you see as their strength, having watched this game?
1: Well, I I must confess, I've not watched a great deal of them beforehand, but they're kind of working on the assumption that they were running out of steam under Thomas Rice, who only was able to take them so far. So uh, new coaches come in, give them some new ideas, gives them a little bit of extra spring in this step, maybe, you know, a few you know, a few ideas, but really it's the same squad of players. They've got tremendous spirit, they've got tremendous togetherness, but those are kind of like your basic entry for Bundesliga, right? Or or any... Uh, uh, you know, top level football, professional football, you know, you have to have that. Do they have any more? The two lads who played either side of Hoffman, I thought were pretty, were pretty tasty to watch. O- o- Osei Tutu and Antoine Ajay, who I thought were very, very lively. If, if he could find a way of uh, getting them to finish off some chances, then I think that they've, that that's a forward line that's got some promise. But yeah, I mean, they were playing the Union side who I think, you know, when they play badly can be quite bad and were able to take advantage of that. And, they, and again, as I said, they, they could have lost it. So I, I wouldn't want to be overly optimistic about their chances of, of survival in, in the Bundesliga, if I'm, if I'm being blunt with you. But, you know, certainly they've got the right spirit and, they, and the coach seems to be with them and they're with the coach. So they're certainly off to a good start under the new coach.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's probably too early to say that Thomas Lech is a, a miracle worker, but the fact that just a few weeks ago it was looking like they were just going to be utterly marooned at the bottom and, and sort of lose touch with the rest of the table, you know, now they've leapfrogged Schalke and that looks very different. Speaking of Schalke, uh, Schalke actually, <laughs> you know, this is probably the best Schalke have played in, in quite some time. And truthfully the worst hair to have played in quite some time considering you know how many near misses hair to have had with with better results. But nonetheless, a 2-1 win at home for Hertha on this Sunday. Schalke definitely made it interesting. They had a couple of goals disallowed in the first half for, you know, uh, offside and and I believe a foul, the second one. And then, you know, after Hertha had taken the lead, they did get one back. through A goal through Florent Millet, but um, at long last, Wilfried Conga who has been starting i think something like 8 or 9 out of the 11 first games for Hertha at striker his you know he was just bought from young boys in the summer and they've been giving a lot of time to uh get on the board and he finally got on the board with just you know 3 minutes or so left in this game once again a super puzzling game in that whatever Schalke were doing they were doing it a lot better than they had been lately. And and Herta seemed to really struggle to get going in terms of stringing together passes in the attacking third. What did you make of this game? And, and <laughs> did you find it as confounding as I did?
1: Yeah, we, we joked about this game on the Sound of Football podcast last Monday, because we were, we were talking about what games we'd be previewing in our newsletter. And, and Graham was suggesting previewing this one. And I and I said I said don't and then you contacted me and said oh do you want to do talking foosball and I thought oh I better watch this game then hadn't I <laughs> but with that in mind then I was obviously pleasantly surprised because it, it was it was a game that had some incident that that disallowed goal was a beaut what a beaut yeah. um, and what a shame I never
0: really le- learned to appreciate its beauty but you know I, I'll go there no
1: I can I can I can completely <laughs> it, it was lovely volleyed strike from Bulter, and and VAR said that that was offside but I think that's harsh it's a harsh VAR because I mean I appreciate you know it probably did come off the lad's studs but you don't, I don't know. I don't think you can say 100% that it did or it didn't. Anyway, it doesn't matter because the decision has been made and to won and that's why this is a happy podcast. That's all good. Yeah, no, I mean, both both teams in a bad place, down at the wrong end of the table, not playing very well. Two not very good teams, not playing very well. But I was pleased for Kanga, of course, because everyone loves the trier. And, you know, he's been, I, don't, I hesitate to say he's been playing well, but, I mean, he's been really putting it out there you know, all season so far. And he thoroughly deserved it. And he didn't bottle that chance and he shrugged off those two Josh Halka defenders like they weren't there. And you do love to see good strikers, you know, playing like that and scoring goals like that. But there was one, I think the thing that summed it up was a few minutes beforehand, there was a Herter attack. And they must have had about three on two. And you could just see the confidence dying in their legs. You could just see they were never going to score, even though, they really should have done. And another team, further up the table, you know, would have would, would probably have done that. And and in terms of ability, there's probably not much difference in terms of the ability of these players. It's just this is what happens when you're down there. And you're not playing very well. You get an opportunity to score, but you almost you have too much time to think about it, and you just all those doubts creep in. And this is the this is the stuff that is so difficult to coach out of players. Is to is to is to get them to. To do that, so you do need my, well, you know, your mentality monsters like Kanga to to just you know, just keep going, uh, no matter what, and, and then getting his reward. And there's nothing, few things finer than a late winner, is there?
0: No, 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 no. I was <laughs> surprised it came. Very pleased, though. I remember that exact counter that you're talking about. It, if they had played it right, it could have turned into something along the lines of even like a five on two. I mean, there was a smart decision made by Jody Lukabakio in that build up he he waited for one of the trailing runners to come through but like literally everything after that decision including the execution of that pass to the trailing runner the first control of of Marco Richter the second control the back heel pass everything went to hell in a chain reaction until they didn't even get a shot off. So, you know, whatever.
1: It did look like they blown it as well, didn't they? But spare a thought for Schwallow, as that's that's harsh to concede a goal like that, I think. You know, especially at your, your old club. He was a good keeper, but yeah, he's made some interesting career choices. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I feel bad for him. I feel bad for him.
0: Yeah, and it, it made me wonder a little bit because in his couple of seasons with Hertha, he did concede a couple of you know, those those Zontag Schuss speculative shot goals playing for Hertha. And It made me wonder whether Luca Tuzar was like, Huh. I I seem to remember a certain tendency with this guy. I'm just gonna take a I'm gonna give this a good whack and see what happens. And sure enough, it just somehow dribbled under his hands. Alright, there's uh, there's three more games. I mean These are games that on another weekend, I think we probably would have put a lot higher up either by lots of incident or in some cases by, you know, the participation of teams further up the table. But (laughs) that's not this weekend. Let's see. Let's let's start with Augsburg and Leipzig. I mean, this was a, a wild game just from the sort of, you know, tale of two halves perspective. I mean, Augsburg really came out and jumped all over. Over Leipzig in this game. I mean, it was it was one nil at halftime, and it was you know three nil by what the 64th minute. I was looking at this this score sort of parallel to other games as I was I was tuned into a different game, thinking like holy <laughs> holy shit, Leipzig are are falling like a house of cards. But you know, once again, red card. Red cards change games. Leipzig seem to sort of hit their stride, especially after making a couple, of, uh, a couple of key substitutions. And what do you know? A 3-3 result.
1: Indeed. And the lesson is that if you are going to be shithouses, then you need to keep your mental discipline. And Iago didn't do that. Our talking football colleague, Jasmin Barber, compared Augsburg to uh, or likened them to a cheap Atletico Madrid. Which, I mean, I'm very much in favour of. I mean, and as a, as an approach for, I mean, Augsburg, I mean, like, who likes Augsburg, right? Who outside Augsburg likes Augsburg? Okay, they are not a popular football club. They have some resources, but, but a minimum amount of resources. They've got some players who can do interesting things. They're ideally set up to play in that kind of traditional Diego Simeone style, like... Pretty defensive, rapid transition, and like right in your face. Yeah, not afraid to do the shit housing, not afraid to roll the sleeves up and have a bit of a fight. But you've got to stay on the right side of things, otherwise it all goes horribly wrong. Because if you're going to play that kind of intensity and beat that up in people's grill, you've got to have ice running through your veins, and that's the reason why these these kind of football teams do well. That's why up until fairly recently, Atleti have been you know, past masters of of this kind of football. They're struggling now a little bit because they're trying to be more than what they are. And Iago, you know, has has just given a lesson there. And it it then all just completely fell apart afterwards because Leipzig have got like tons of quality and they're not going to let an opportunity like that. But I find Augsburg an intriguing watch. You know, I don't particularly enjoy watching them play, but I think what they're doing is really, really interesting. And I'm intrigued to see where Enrico Masson goes from here.
0: Yeah, I think they're not winning beauty contests with their their football, but they are at least an interesting, engaging watch. A team you know you now have to take seriously. Let's just say, okay, Leipzig. What, what's up with Leipzig in the Champions League? They are at home to Real Madrid on Tuesday. They have a one point lead over Shakhtar Donetsk. That'll be interesting, <laughs> considering uh, considering the the opposition and uh, the fact that Donetsk. Well, no, Donetsk are at Celtic this week, so yeah, that one could be that could could be an interesting, a rough ride into the uh, the, the knockout stages for them.
1: Yeah, I think they probably will. Well, that's going to be a difficult one, isn't it? But, I mean, even when Real Madrid don't turn up for football matches, they still. They just—they never not turn up for football matches. Real Madrid.
0: You know, even if they only turn up for the last fifteen minutes, they can sometimes fix whatever problems they've caused themselves.
1: We've literally seen them do that against better teams than Leipzig. So yeah, well, we'll we'll see. All right.
0: Okay, another draw, another big score draw from the weekend—a two-two draw between Bayer Nuremberg Leverkusen and FSV Wolfsburg. This one really took some turns as well, considering Leverkusen were on top early, before go- then going down to two goals from Wolfsburg and then getting themselves back into the game. I mean, clearly the story of the season for both of these teams—one a little bit more notably than the other, has been digging themselves out of a hole. What do you make of these two going forward? I mean, Niko Kovac was able to weather the early storm this season. He's sticking around. He seems to have, you know, put a real emphasis on, you know... (laughs) Niko Kovac like qualities. He's brought in a lot of young players who are are more willing, perhaps, to run and press than some of the more experienced players. Leverkusen, they of course did make a coaching change, and now have you know Hugo Boss model Xavi Alonso in charge. Who has you know had one good result, one bad result, and one okay result. Where are we at with these two teams?
1: Yeah, Alonso Wolfsburg first, um, and I've got time for Kovac although a lot of that is based upon what he did at Frankfurt but they were patient with him at Frankfurt and they were rewarded I think if Wolfsburg are patient with Kovac then they will get whatever it is that they're trying to achieve achieved which I suspect is really not that much more than you know trying to see if they can get a sniff at some European places and maybe on a good day Champions League but I think they're kind of you know, their their ambitions have been blunted somewhat over the last few years, Wolfsburg, and, and, and we're seeing that in, in the kind of players they're bringing in and the kind of signings that they make. So that's really all I've got to say. They they, they have reverted to the grey mouse that we know and didn't particularly have much interest in, in in years past. Leverkusen is always an interesting story, isn't it? Because there's the nature of that club. Like Wolfsburg, they were regarded as a fellow plastic club, although plastic with some with some heritage and pedigree, it's got to be said. And Xavi Alonso is a bold choice. He's hugely, hugely admired coach at Real Sociedad and before considered to be, this is obviously Real Sociedad, it's sort of like second team, not not the first team, uh, considered to be, you know, an upcoming coach destined to, to, to go to the top. And Leverkusen on the surface is a fantastic choice for him because they're a club of some means. They play... European football, they technically challenge for honours, although, as we know, they they don't win them, but they certainly try. And, you know, they've got the ambitions, I think, to meet his ambitions. But it's just so spectacularly early to know what will be happening there, you know, in the longer term. What we do know is that they've had some, you know, pretty tough results and pretty disappointing performances. So he's got some picking up to do. And so inconsistency is quite likely in this and again you know like so many of these teams playing you know English weeks every week which is just not something that happens that often to most Bundesliga clubs these are not ideal circumstances but it is I won't lie it's an exciting signing I know over here in the UK people are kind of looking at Xabi Alonso because they're thinking about whether or not maybe he'll come to England because he's Hugely admired over here in England for his time in Liverpool. And so, so there is some interest from over here as to, as to, as to how it will go down. There is a whiff of Barclays about Xavier Alonso, which, you know, we'll see how well that goes in the unsponsored Bundesliga.
0: Yeah, I feel like if he doesn't drop the ball too badly at Leverkusen, he's, he's got so much credit over in England, he'll. He'll he'll get an Aston Villa or That's Newcastle job to <laughs> one day. That's
1: about to say Villa will pick him up. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, okay, well Leverkusen they're traveling to Spain to play uh, the rich man's uh, Alksborg, uh, Atletico <laughs> this week, and if they don't get a win in that game, they are pretty much out. Period, and even unlikely to make the uh, Europa League sort of <sighs> Champions League relegation places, if you will. So we got one more game to talk about, and we should probably keep it brief. This, you know, so many good games this weekend. This is a a bizarre place for this one, but here we are. It's uh, Eintracht's 3-1 win over Borussia Mönchengladbach. We here on Talking Fußball have taken the top spiel and turned it into a bottom spiel. no offense, folks, but it's just the way things played out. Not a terrible game truthfully from Borussia Munchen Gladbach, at least on the balance of the stats. It was an even game from the expected goal boffin perspective. but uh, that's that's not how games go. When you have Jesper Lindstrom uh, up front, sometimes you just uh, you can nick some results.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah, apologies for leaving this one out. Effectively, yeah, it, it sort of ended up on the bottom of the pile. How did it get there? Super impressive result for Eintracht. A close game and convincing scoreline. And uh, you know they're going superbly. Eintracht, considering that they're also managing and juggling a Champions League campaign at the same time, it's fantastic. They deserve huge amounts. <laughs> they 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 deserve to be. You know, top spiel rather than bottom spiel, but that's how it's rolled out, and I'm sure in future episodes of Talking Fußball, they will be front and centre and in the, in the forefront of our minds. But uh, but yeah, not a great deal to be said um, apart from it was great unless you're Gladbach, in which he it was terrible.
0: Yeah, well, similar similar to uh, Leverkusen, I would say Eintracht have their hands full in the Champions League. They are, uh, you know, still in the thick of things. It's it's a tight group, Group D. But um, if they don't get a result at home to Marseille on Wednesday, they'll be in a little bit of trouble if they want to stick around in Europe. All right. That is all for this edition of Talking Foosball Direct, which was produced, as always, by Aidan Rantoul. Really nice to have you back, Terry.
1: Absolutely wonderful to be back. Thanks very much for, for having me on.
0: You can find Terry on Twitter at Terry DeFelon. You can pick up his book, Borussia Dortmund, A History in Black and Yellow, wherever fine books are sold. And if you want to contact me, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman over there on Twitter. Talking Foosball Extra will be coming up in just a couple of days, so do say hi to Nick and the gang for me. Miss some Nick's emollium.